Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. New York Attorney General Letitia James asked a judge to hold Donald Trump in contempt for failing to provide documents in her investigation into Trump's business dealings. In other news, Steve Bannon is facing a setback in his contempt of Congress case after a judge ruled that he cannot argue at trial that he was following the advice of his lawyer when he failed to comply with the January 6th committee subpoena. And a federal jury in Michigan has acquitted two men of conspiring to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020. Preet Bharara and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. Before we get to the news of the week, I want to remind folks that we were nominated for a Webby. Stay tuned with Preet for best individual episode in news, the episode with the prosecutors who brought Derek Chauvin to justice. If you want to vote, and I encourage you to vote, go to cafe.com slash Webby. That's cafe.com slash Webby. And maybe we'll have another Webby. By the way, the first Webby we ever got was for best individual episode. And it was the show I did with Bill Browder a few years ago. Programming note for folks, Bill Browder will be on the show again in a week or two to talk about his new book, Freezing Order. Preet, when you win a Webby, do you get actually a physical award that sits on your shelf? So I have, so if you ever see me on on CNN, uh, in front of my my bookshelf, there's the actual Bill Browder Webby behind me. I don't know that we've gotten the physical Webby during the pandemic. I got to check on that. Well, y'all go vote so Preet can fill up his shelf. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so the other news was the trial result or lack of result, uh, depending on how you want to describe it, in the plot that was announced with great fanfare of four men who were alleged by the Department of Justice to have conspired to kidnap and possibly even ultimately kill the governor of Michigan, Governor Whitmer. And I remember at the time, there was a lot said about it, and there was a lot of fanfare, as I said. And the four defendants went to trial. Two of the defendants outright acquitted. So based on the principle of double jeopardy in our Constitution, they can't be tried again. And two other defendants, the jury was deadlocked on, I haven't seen yet, I don't know if you've seen Joyce, whether or not the government has said they will retry those two defendants. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But it's not a great result from the government's perspective. And a lot of what seems to be going on is an issue that I actually talk about in my NYU law school class based on cases that I have overseen in the past and other cases. There seems to be a disconnect between, there seems to be a disconnect between what the government, law enforcement, the FBI feels is appropriate and compelling with respect to a sting, an undercover sting, and what sometimes jurors feel about the propriety of a sting. And in cases that, you know, become controversial over time, the argument is, you know, technically one of entrapment, but in lay people's terms, it was really a crime that was manufactured, the argument goes, a crime that was manufactured by law enforcement agents. And the people who get embroiled in it the argument also goes, were hapless and didn't really have the ability to do something 
they were just disgruntled people who engaged in, you know, bad speech. And it was the government who brought them step by step towards some kind of manufactured plot. And they shouldn't be held responsible for that. So what's your reaction to the case specifically and to undercover stings generally? So I'm from Alabama. That's a militia country. These sorts of cases aren't really unusual for us, although this one is extreme, this allegation that there was going to be an effort to kidnap and perhaps do worse to the governor. And the question that you always confront in this sort of a case when you're doing the investigation is how far left of boom do you make the arrests? Do you take the conspiracy down? Because this gets charged as a conspiracy to kidnap. There's no kidnapping that happens. And it's obviously important that you don't let the case go that far, right? Nobody wants to see the kidnapping and the risk to victims actually take place. That's boom. The question is, how far left of boom do you go ahead and and take everything down? And perhaps the problem that the government that the investigators have here is that they didn't wait long enough. The One of the cases that we did in this area, and I know you've got great stories about cases that you've done, but where I think we made the right decision about how long to wait. And it was it was a, a, a difficult call, but there was a young as Becky student who had overstayed a lawful visa and had become radicalized online. And through undercover means, the government became aware that he was talking about his desire to kill President Obama. And he was beginning to take significant steps that area, including efforts to acquire weapons. And so ultimately, as government agents engaged with him, there were two in this case, what they did was they let the the target lead the investigation. They didn't make suggestions about types of weapons or the way he might want to carry out his intentions. And he, in the course of conversation, said, I'm not sure I can get close enough to Obama. And if if that's the case, I'd, I'd like to engage in violence locally in a, a crowded venue. And when he asked them for help acquiring weapons, they asked him what kind of weapons he wanted. He was ultimately arrested in the course of purchasing what he thought were live and obviously were not live grenades and and high-powered weapons, one of them an illegal weapon. And so in that case, entrapment was not a good option because he had shown both his predisposition and his commitment to carrying out the crime. In this case, we were pretty far left of boom. Do you think that that was the problem here? It may have been, or it may be that this particular jury, and I think you suggested this as a possibility, just nullified there was sufficient evidence beyond a reasonable doubt to hold these folks responsible, criminally responsible, but that they just didn't like the case. Sometimes it's true that juries will not like the way the case was put together, not technically a full-on defense, but they just don't want to reward the government for the unseemly tactics of you know pushing folks to do something that in the minds of some jurors, they were not otherwise capable of doing. And obviously, You know, stings are a part of law enforcement strategy all over the country, both in state court and federal court. We had a couple of cases that were significant and and got a lot of attention that I address in my book, one of which involved the so-called cannibal cop, a person who, (laughs) the the cannibal cop, Gilberto (laughs) Valley, whose wife made a report 
that she saw that he was engaging in communications with and chats with people about kidnapping, uh, raping, killing, and actually consuming particular women, including his wife. And so the FBI began an investigation of this, this cop, you know, active duty police officer with an eye towards figuring out, you know, what his actual intentions were and whether it was more than talk. And there was some evidence that he had, you know, cased out women or at least one woman that he might've brought harm to. There were discussions with other folks about, you know, what activities they would engage in that would involve harm to women. And at some point, we were going to introduce an undercover there and develop further evidence and and see if, you know, substantial steps were going to be taken to further the conspiracy to kidnap. But that cop decided after his wife left him at some point to go on vacation. So the debate was, do we have enough evidence to charge now? And, you know, there was enough, we thought, but we would have liked to have more. Or do we let the case sit and observe him? There was actually a debate between the FBI and our office about whether or not they could maintain, as we say in law enforcement, maintain eyes on him. And what's often going on in the minds of government officials, I mean, people will appreciate this, if not, you know, always the way they go about it. You know, God forbid, during this period of time, we don't arrest him, we lose eyes on him, and he, he causes harm to somebody, kidnaps or kills somebody. That, that's not good, right? <laughs> no, that's bad. <clears throat> that's not good. And that, they'll be held to pay. So often law enforcement, I think, for good reason and understandably, will arrest a little bit earlier than the point where they have really overwhelming evidence. And so we made the decision to do that. He was convicted at trial. The judge sat on, on the motion to acquit, which a judge can do in federal court. He sat on that for 18 months and then reversed the jury's verdict and, and the cop went free. And... You know, when I think about that, uh, I think, you know, on the one hand, I understand the judge's opinion because as he pointed out, some of the talk just looked like talk, even though it was gross and disgusting and despicable. They would keep talking about having meetings and keep talking about doing things. And then those dates would come and go and nothing would happen. So the real question is trying to figure out, was it fantasy or had the fantasy graduated to a true real conspiracy? Uh, and the judge clearly was tortured about it because he took 18 months to make the decision to reverse the jury verdict. But at the same time, if you're in law enforcement and you have concern about someone's dangerousness and it's reported to you by the actual wife of the person, you're inclined to take action. And you know, there's another case that received some attention in my office where four men in connection with the sting operation were arrested for trying to plant a bomb to, to blow up a synagogue in the New York area. And in that case, the criticism was, these were four hapless guys uh, whose exploits were really planned and manufactured by the FBI. We got a conviction in that case too, but it was not without controversy. And so I think stings are a delicate matter. They are delicate. You know, the, the government had some good evidence here about conduct though. They conducted coordinated surveillance on the governor's vacation home. There was talk about detonating explosive devices to divert police from the area of the vacation home. And one of the defendants in the lead up to the arrests inspected the underside of an M31 highway bridge looking for a place that they could possibly secrete the explosives. They purchased tasers to use in the kidnapping. They successfully detonated improvised explosive devices 
There's a lot of conduct here. And so something that I have to wonder, and I think you're absolutely right when you say that juries don't look at these sort of sting cases as kindly as law enforcement does. But there's something additional here. There's the context, because this case arises in the wake of some dissatisfaction over Governor Whitner's conduct of pro-vaccine policies of restrictions during the COVID pandemic. The case takes place in the western part of Michigan, which is a little bit more conservative-leaning than areas like Detroit. And so it's hard to know, right? You have a jury that actually acquits two of the lesser-involved defendants. They hang when it comes to, to two more defendants who are in leadership roles. And does this have something to do with vaccines and and the entire political divide that's going on in the country that wouldn't have happened if this was a case without that context, but with this sort of conduct by law enforcement? Yeah, look, and it may be the case that the appetite for stings has waned a little bit. I I, I sense a little bit of a shift. And does politics overshadow this? Possibly. I wasn't in the trial every day. It wasn't televised because it's federal court. Sometimes it's hard to judge whether a result, you know, is sensible or not, whether it involves a jury's decision to nullify or not. Obviously, it's not a simplistic verdict because they did not acquit the two more involved people. There was a disagreement about whether or not they should be convicted. All we know is that there was unanimous agreement on on the acquittal of two of the defendants. So we'll see whether the case is tried again. But it's a sensitive issue and a complicated one. And one that if I were back in office, I would think about more deeply. I think that's right. And and the, the call on whether or not to retry the cases uh, will be made by a number of people. But I would think that Maine Justice will get heavily involved in making that decision. After the verdict came in, the lawyer for one of the defendants said this about what people can take away from the acquittal in this case, that very rough talk can be tolerated in our society because this group of men was... Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.